Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Hello and welcome to the final Rugby Wrap for 2023. And we're certainly finishing with a bang with plenty to talk about and lots going on. And my name is Mick Collis. Joining me to try and make sense of it all is Wallaby735. Mitch, hey, Mitch, good to see you in your wrestling singlet tonight. Mate, good to be back, Mickey. Back to the uh, the warmth of the top end, mate. And um, wow, end of a big, long 2023 of rugby. And uh, yeah, fantastic rugby wrap too and to the World Cup. And it all wrapped up on the weekend, mate. So plenty to talk about tonight. But great to be back in the in the company of the great man, Heath Tesman. And there's the segue we were looking for. Everyone's favourite hooker, Heath Tesman. Tess, terrific to see you. It's been too long. Oh, gents, yourselves as well. You've been off gallivanting around. There's that much to talk about tonight. I can't even remember what there is to talk about. So it's going to be fun just completing it. Um, no notes because we're usually very that's how we roll here on this on this podcast. Yeah. So yes, there is. Um, look, I don't know where to start. Two really big stories breaking over the weekend. One being the World Cup final, and the other being Eddie Jones departing. But I think if we kick off on a positive, and that was the Rugby World Cup for 2023 i thought the whole thing was outstanding and then early on sunday morning our time south africa defeating the all blacks 12 11 in a compelling and controversial final so test world cup itself before we get to the final what do you think overall thoughts yeah it was i think it's bang on that um it is one of the most entertaining world cups that uh, that i can remember anyway as far as the quality of different games that we had had throughout the stages, especially from the minnows as well, like teams like Romania, all turning it on. Um, upsets as well, unfortunately, at the hands of Australia quite frequently. Um, so, yeah, it, did, it had it all from that point of view, just highs, lows, <laughs> and, and the whole gamut. And I liked talking to the minnows. Portugal, for me, were, if you had to pick my team of the tournament, I'd pick Portugal. I thought they were terrific. No, the fun. They just and the way that they played as well. I think was it their last game that they knocked off Fiji. Yeah, against already, Fiji, everything's yeah. like everything's blurred into one of these three AM yeah. starts. I was <laughs> fortunate enough to be sitting in the stands, but um, but it was just a uh, like those scenes of them having that. That I think it was a final scrum or ruck and just being able to kick it out and the celebration, yeah. the adulation that came around. Yeah, and like the crowds as well. Like boys, talk to me about that. Like the all the singing. Like the passion of some of those um, South American crowds, the the Welsh crowds, all those those countries with their anthems, it would have been brilliant atmosphere over there. Mitch, it was, wasn't it? Oh, it was fantastic, Mickey. And yeah, like on reflection, how would you sum up the Rugby World Cup for for twenty twenty three? I reckon it was it was a real sort of um, coming of age of the tier two nations, in my view, mm. of, of where where they're at with world rugby and the. And the, the gap between the haves and the have-nots is slowly narrowing. And there's so many good stories coming out of that World Cup, Mickey, and Portugal's just one of them. Um, the engagement with the fan base and the Argentinians, the Irish, the Welsh, all coming together in those stadiums was just wonderful to see. And, and the atmosphere, um, as you could tell from the telly watching it there, Heath, was just terrific, mate. It was just really, really good. And it was all festival-type um, mm. atmosphere right across France at all the stadiums. And... You know, and the the best two teams, arguably the best two teams in across the whole World Cup, ended up in the final. So, mm. um, you know, it was any it was, when you get to those top eight and the quarterfinals, where literally any of those eight teams could have gone on to win it, was terrific mm. indication of how good the quality of competition was across the World Cup. Yeah. And there were some highs or lows along the way, and you're going to get that in any World Cup. But I think at the end of the day, um, you'd sit back and say that was good for world rugby. At the end of the day. Yeah, I, I just thought the spirit of the whole thing, like um, so, so the before the games we were at, like it's, it's full strength beer and everyone gets there a few hours beforehand, just on the beer, singing songs, getting on the ground, everyone's on their beers and there's just no trouble. Like there was no aggression. There were I didn't see any fights. Everyone was just in a, in a good mood. And it was, for me, that's what rugby was all about. That World Cup, just different countries coming together. If you had a nation's colour top on, you could you could talk to anyone. You could go and talk to the Irish people. They'd have a chat to you. Like, it was just, I thought that side of it was fantastic. Yeah, certainly was, Mickey. And it was a terrific Rugby World Cup rugby rap tour and, and big cheerio to uh, any of the, the, the tourists out there that joined us on the three weeks gallivanting around France. If you're listening to the podcast, big cheery out to all you guys, and I hope you've recovered well. Yeah, and a big shout-out to Dale Raines, voted best on ground, won it by a point. Best tourist, won it by a point 
over uh, over Hulky. So uh, so that was good. And just looking ahead to 2027, so they're now making it six six pools of four. So they're increasing the number of teams to to 24. It's the top two teams plus I think the next two best fit. So it's something like 14 or 16 teams going round through. of 16. Yeah, go now, for a round of 16 and then a round of eight. And so- is that ridiculous? I, I think I think it's a good idea to open up more teams into the World Cup, Mickey. And probably, probably, hopefully, they'll do a lot more marketing and sort of advocacy and promotion around the qualifiers, leading into that as well. Because don't forget, there's there's a whole stack of qualifiers that happen in the two years, three years leading into that World Cup. So um, you'd like to think that'll end up being a big campaign. Um, and the tier one, tier two structures of uh, world rugby now as well coming into play. Um, I think it's a good thing bringing in more teams, but I would have liked to see four pools of six rather than six pools of four, and and stick with the top eight format. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, they brought yeah, the four yeah. in to try and shorten shorten the tournament, so they don't have to play basically three games, and then they're in their into their sixteen. But I think who who's not going to make the sixteen? Like even we'll make that. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's maybe why they changed it. Maybe we yeah. lobbied, lobbied everyone around the table to get the vote in, so we yeah. make the top sixteen next time. It'll be, the, it'll be the top twenty by the time the American one comes around. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, anyway, look, it'll be great, and we'll wait and see how it ends. But getting to the final, South Africa up twelve eleven over the All Blacks. Um, Test did the best team win. Oh, that's an interesting question. That one. I, I think. I think it. I think South Africa did enough on the night. I think both teams really like had a stake on the claim and had that one hand on the trophy to say that they they could have won it if they won it or whether they lost it they would have been beaten like fairly they would have been happy with their effort but I do think South Africa probably just they were able to grind it out just that little bit more um a big difference with the All Blacks having to play for that bit longer with Sam Kane I'm sure going to get to some mitigating factors later on but um all in all South Africa, I think they they did thoroughly deserve to win it on the night. They did enough. Um, the way they played suited the conditions as well, and they were able to nullify just the the explosiveness explosiveness that that All Blacks team they can harness. And Mitch, do you reckon was it? Yeah, I, mate. I, as I said earlier, I think the two best teams played in the final. At the end of the day, South Africa's consistency in being able to win the close games mm. um, leading up to that final was incredible. Their composure under pressure, um, their ability to sustain endless amounts of attack, and they they won it on defence. At the end of the day, on on um, Saturday night, like. We'll, um, it was purely down to that. Cards aside, that's a completely different story. But at the end of the day, it was the South African defence that won, that won them the game. Their discipline as well was just unbelievable. I was watching that game thinking, surely they're going to give away a penalty here mm. or yeah, do yeah. something silly. But it was just relentless. And when you've got a guy like Peter Steff to toy, who was just smashing was everything it. that moved, yeah. that's probably the best performance by back row across that whole World Cup in that yep. single game. That was outstanding. Like it was just unbelievably good. And when you when you have a bloke like that leading from the front and everyone else just with good level heads, smart kicking game, they played the conditions really well. Um, it was a little bit damp and slippery. And then um, just just were able to withhold and just, you know, their line held and just, just that sustained pressure the All Blacks were trying to put on them. They never broke. They hardly broke at all. Um, and they did that against England. They did that um, in the semi-final in the quarterfinals as well mm. so yeah probably weren't the flashiest team and the most exciting team going around in the world cup but i think uh thoroughly deserved and you look at their uh playing group number one to 23 that consistently mm. was in that team you know they didn't get a lot of injuries um the coaches were prepared to make tough calls with selection with bringing pollard back in at 10 and um the way they manipulated their nines and picked their pick their team to suit their opposition mm. and we're able to adapt and um, yeah, thoroughly deserve to be World Cup champions. Because it was amazing they, they won their quarterfinal by a, a point and that all came down to the, that winger charging down the fullback to prevent that yeah. conversion yep. that was that one point, they won their semi-final by a point, then they the, the final by a point but for me, I, I can't believe how good, and I take my hat up to the All Blacks to to go toe to toe with the best team in the world, 
a man for down for sixty minutes was oh. uh, was unbelievable, and and to actually to be giving themselves a chance to win that game right up to the death, I I just thought that was an amazing performance by those blokes. Well, that, and that's the thing with with you know the the ball goes off uh, Jordy Barrett's boot a little bit differently. You know, it goes off Richie Mwanga's boot a little bit differently, and it's a completely different story, mm. isn't it? That they were there, and that was you could see like the anguish. And, you know, obviously the All Blacks, they just lost a World Cup final, but they knew how close they were. They knew that they'd just, they'd almost, almost done enough. Yeah. Um, because it's, it, you know, I mean, it takes an immense toll just playing a playing a game of that magnitude with 15 men, but to do, to produce the effort they did with the man down for such a huge part of that game, it really was a, an impressive effort from them as well. So talking of that test, so four yellow cards, one turned into a red, Sam Keynes. Lots of talk about the TMO and the and the referee. How did you see it with all those cards justified? Is it do we need to change something? Oh, I think I think the way that the TMO's involvement is utilized needs to be looked at and just needs to be adjusted going forward. Obviously, a lot of the times it was the right call, but as entertaining and as captivating as that game was for a for rugby enthusiasts like you know us hardened on fans mm. of the game, we can really appreciate the arm wrestle, how tough it was, um, how close it was. Like for such a game, I don't know if it really was that brilliant spectacle of a game that we would lo- would have loved to see. And you know, finals are always they're always a little bit more of a grind as well. But as far as entertaining games went, in my opinion, it wasn't up there as far mm. as the the entertainment factor went through the tournament. And then a part of that was, unfortunately, you know, the constant involvement of the TMO, stopping play, bringing plays back, rechecking, you know, not what knock-ons four phases later, like lots of, you know, little things like that. So it, it did have an effect. It had an effect on the flow of the game. But, I mean, that being said as well, that's something that thoroughly helped the, the Springbok team, like having that big, heavier pack power-based game they were able to just have that slow style which you know England it nearly worked for them in the in the previous game before just having it constantly break down stop let them get their get breath again and keep going it didn't introduce the fatigue that would have been hoping to see for that final as well so Mitch what do we do so on that Aaron Smith try that came from an Artie severe knock-on as Tess mentioned you know four phases beforehand if that didn't come back and get picked up and the All Blacks won that South Africa would be absolutely howling so well, what did, do you do? What's the what's the middle ground? Well, How do you... I think you I think you've got to clearly define what the role of the TMO TMO is, Mickey. I think that's what it comes down to. At no stage during the Rugby World Cup was the TMO interjecting around general play and saying, Oh, you need to have a look at this, you need to have a look at that. I'm gonna show you some vision. It was it was they only got involved when the referee on the field referred it to the TMO. And I think that's that's the clear delineation where the referee refers something to the T, TMO to look like, whether it be on the run or otherwise, then that that's that's fair. That's what the TMO's role is. But in that in that particular instance where you talk about the knock-on, it's very clear Wayne Barnes three times says no knock-on, yeah, play no on, knock on. no mm. knock-on, play on. He's got an AR who had pretty good vision of that, who was at the line at, you know, at that line out at the time, plus he was in close proximity. So, in my view, in that instance, the team I shouldn't have interjected because the two officials that, whose role it is to judge on that, mm. both both cleared it on the spot. And if the TMO was going to interject, he should have interjected well before the try was scored. Yeah, he should yeah. have got in Wayne Barnes here and said, Wayne, you need, need to bring it back. Yeah. There's a clear knock-on. Um, yeah. instead of waiting for a try to be scored and then interjecting. It's just a poor look for the game when that happens. And it was poor... It was poor um, team management, I guess, on the on the official's behalf. But then you look at the other cards where they're referred and, you know, our favourite word all year, Mick, is mitigating, yeah, mitigating. circumstances. <laughs> like, like seriously, they've got to get that part of it right. That, you know, the, the whole intent of red cards, as a good mate of mine, Steve Wanningham, will say, is it was brought – red cards are brought in for foul play where someone has intentionally hurt mm. someone or create – yeah, did an act of foul play in the game. There's a red, clear and definable red card. Having these accidents happen in a game where it's a head-on-head collision because someone's changed direction or got their height wrong or um, some incident in the game has happened is just completely against what red cards are for. Like, we all recognise that we've got to protect players' safety and protect the heads of players, but at the end of the day, 
the the split second decision and the things that happen on a rugby field with guys changing direction and dropping body heights and all the other things going around with guys at 100 plus 120 kilos plus mm. traveling at rapid rate or knots you can't say they're acts of foul play mm. i mean if you're going to call it foul play then where does the the line get drawn with Khaleesi charging into Artie Saver, who's caught, has been held in a tackle, well, not necessarily a tackle, but has been held as he caught the ball. And Khaleesi's come in head first, head down, and smashed straight into his face. Mm. I mean, that to me is reckless. But is it foul play? No, it's reckless. Mm. Is the Sam K Sam K did he intentionally go to take Jesse Creel's head off? No, because mm. Jesse Creel stepped into Sam Kane and Sam Kane's gone for the tackle and basically reacted to what was in front of him. Sam Kane was and, shocked. Yeah. So it's like like it, it I'm all for the yellow cards. Have, give give out as many yellow cards as you want, guys. But don't play around with this upgrading of red stuff. And if you are, bring in the twenty minute rule so it doesn't mm. ruin it for everyone. Because that is something they're looking at. But that Sam Kane yeah. one, like that, according to the rules as they are at the moment, that's a red card every day. Yeah. Then that's the problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't drop his knees, he didn't bend to the hips. So there were but, he didn't have chance, but he didn't have a chance to. He didn't he literally did not have a chance to mm. change his body height and whatsoever. Mm. It was just a split second decision. Jesse McCurls, as soon as he's changed the angle, you got no chance to mm. recover from that if you've committed to the tackle. Mm. Which he had been. Yeah. I mean you look at the way he's the the shoulder and it was just untidy the whole act of making that tackle for Sam Kane and he sort of uh, ragdolled him after contact as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just untidy. And, you know, for that, for that to happen, it did overshadow a World Cup final that could have just been the, a really great contest. Mm. And that, unfortunately, that's what people are left talking about rather than the great performances yeah. by South yeah. Africa or the fantastic effort by the All Blacks playing with four and a man. A lot of people recognize that. But the All Blacks played themselves to a standstill, but they still mm. made. As as um, Heath alluded to, they had two kicks at goal, which they missed, mm. and they probably made uncharacteristic handling yeah, errors during that game where they were yeah. pushing the pass. And that could have been through to fatigue or just not playing the conditions well enough. And for mine, people like Geordie Barrett, Will Jordan probably didn't have their best games at all. Mm. And that's that's the difference between the two 15, well, 15 and 14 men aside that were out there on the day, is that there wasn't a South African player that had a bad game. Yeah. And then talking about, you know, crazy yellow cards and red cards. So the Cheslin Colby yellow at the end. Yeah. When when are we getting rid of that rule? That knockdown oh, the rule. Deliberate, the deliberate knockdown. But it's been in for twenty years, Mick. Yeah, it's but not when, change. surely that's gotta change. <laughs> I just imagine losing a World Cup because of that. Yeah, he'd be devastated. Well, he nearly did. And he was devastated. I was <laughs> going to the all blacks. And still, I, st- I saw him on the sideline with his head. He couldn't yeah. even watch. And I got sympathy, lost. sympathy for the South Africans, so I started going for them because they didn't want him to have hurt feelings. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordy Barrett kicks that goal, team, mate. Yeah, it could have cost him the World Cup. That's exactly. From a, from, from that, from a, yeah, from you know, a knockdown th- pass. A knockdown pass. Like, yeah. give me a break. There's got to be some responsibility to the th- person throwing the ball that if it's not on, don't throw it. I think it's that, – so that's another rule that I, that, that annoys me Um like like many of them, but that that I just thought that could have been a disaster for that poor bloke. And do you reckon I've just finished watching episode two of the Beckham thing on Netflix, and with David <laughs> Beckham, the red card he got in the World Cup, and he was absolutely crucified by the Pommies. Do you think the Kiwis will be more gentle on Sam Kane, or will he cop will he cop grief when he gets home? Nah, he, he's a legend of rugby in New Zealand, mate. They'll they'll forgive him. They might have been cursing him on the night, but they'll forgive him. Mm. Um, they'll move on quickly, I think. And I hope so. I hope three so. Three New Zealand, three New Zealand players got awarded Rugby World. Yeah, we're getting to that. Don't get hit of the mailbag. Rugby awards. Ooh. All right. Sorry, don't I don't want to dip into that mailbag <laughs> early, mate. Don't but hit of the mailbag. I think I think the New Zealand rugby public, if you'd asked them at the start of the World Cup, they maybe not expected the All Blacks to get to the yeah, final. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they'd be extremely proud of their players to be able to get so close to winning it with 14 men yeah. and you know that semi-final final performance by Sam Kane was probably the best game he'd played in yeah two or three years I reckon yeah um well since he had that really bad neck injury that's for sure and yeah. um geez he was phenomenal so I think he 
you know, and he just got it wrong in that one instance. But Beckham, yes. Beckham had done all right before that World Cup too. Yeah, yeah, yeah but soccer v rugby mix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, football, I know. Football v rugby, back football to the spirit. rugby. That's right. It's, it's the football punters versus the rugby punters. Yeah. yeah, no, you did right. But it was so, good. How about the line-out contest, Heath? I, mean, I thought the line-out contest on Saturday night was terrific as well. Like, I'm not a big fan of set pieces, you know, but surely you were uh, <laughs> salivating at that. Oh, it was a it was a tough night for the twos out there. I mean, especially for for Mom, um, Mom as well. Like him going off pretty early, and then who he had uh, Dion Tariq coming on. Oh, like we were talking yeah, earlier the about pocket rocket. He's, yeah, he's smaller than you. Talking about how good back rowers were for South Africa. What about the back rower that had to play seventy seven minutes at hooker for them? Yeah. two as well yeah. and get it's them like over Heath the Tessman line? Playing for Netherlands, isn't it? <laughs> oh. Oh, this I wasn't on the field for that long. I'll give you the red hot tip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just like both teams, like conditions didn't suit. But then you first you've got the All Blacks who are arguably the best defensive. Like the way that that Retallick and Whitelock can work to get as much out of a defensive line out as possible and pressure an opposition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they did that. But then the ability that you know something you don't see every day. Cody Taylor just a few errant throws as well. Uh, same with Tokiaho, he got the start on the bench over over Dane Coles, and that was a little bit just I don't know if it was nerves, the ball was slippery, but we saw it the week before as well in that South Africa England game too. Yeah, the where, yeah. yeah. <laughs> lots oh, of moving Jamie parts in those lineups. Danny George threw an absolute doozer, yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> in that match there. So, like you said, lots of moving parts, and um, yeah, I think obviously the conditions were tough, but with that little bit of extra pressure. Um, yeah, I mean, DM3, he did brilliantly. And while we're talking actually about Dane Coles as well, um, I think it was what he said it was one of the toughest moments as well that uh, that they'd had as New Zealand coaching staff telling him that he wouldn't be lacing up the boots for that um, yeah. for that final game, which was going to be his final, or potentially his final game as an all-back. And it's a massive, big changing of the guard for the ABs now with uh, with guys like him, Aaron Smith, Sam Whitelock. Yeah. We're all going to be moving on. Bowden Barrel, he'll be at the next World Cup. Richie Mwanga, he's taking changes. off, but I'm sure he'll be back. Hmm. Yeah. And what up. about what about the bomb squad test, Derek? Did that make a difference in the end, or do you think the All Blacks nullified them? No, I think I think the All Blacks did as good a job. And if there is a team that can nullify, like the South African team, you can see the change in the momentum of games when they start wheeling out, like they wheel out a whole front row, they wheel out a whole new second row. And you can see there's an instant change in the intensity in like the, just the weightness, the push that they get through at a scrum, just because that level of fatigue isn't there for the opposition. It was a big difference in that English game, but New Zealand's always been one of the teams that has been able to, to nullify that. And you don't see that change um, as strongly, but that being said, I don't, you didn't see the changes strong on Saturday night, but I think it just, Took that toll a little bit more, and the the fatigue that that set in it just made it a little bit tougher for those All Blacks hookers in the back half of that second half. Um, mm. But that, I mean, the confidence as well. Like I'm sure, I'm sure that, that that Springbok coaching box would have been pretty nervous as well when Bongi went down oh, three yeah. minutes oh, in. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And I think like you know, Jackson Niemeyer, and they, I think it was as long as he basically said we're all covered as long as we don't lose. Our two or our nine too early. We're we're yeah. we're pretty good. Like I'm pretty confident of <laughs> all that. Yeah. And three minutes in, <laughs> he's going too. down. Yeah. Um, which you know to a questionable clean out as well. Something that my oh, poor just, mate, just on my that, poor I, mate Darcy Swain gets crucified for. Yeah. Mate, just on that, I didn't agree with that one either. Like, for, there's no way that was a yellow card on any universe. It was oh, no shouldn't even it's... shouldn't even been a penalty. Like, I don't understand. What he did wrong, I still don't understand what he did wrong. He missed a clean out and fell over, and mm. just so happened to land on the guy's knee accidentally. There was no intent whatsoever of that. Mm. Like it's just crazy. Yeah. Like that was that's just the, crazy. That set the, the tone for the whole match. That that, that decision what, like that. Where is their intent though? In a lot of these <laughs> yellow cards, that's the thing. Like, well, so that's the what thing. they're trying to. Ch- but they're trying to change the behaviour. Then aren't they? They're trying to say that. Oh, shouldn't yeah. be rolling out to the side. So if you're rolling out to the side, you're going to find yourself in trouble just on. the same way yeah. as you should be dropping your head. You should be, mm-hmm. you know, doing any. Like I was, I'm not going to lie, I was a bit concerned that Eminem you know, was milking a little bit at the beginning. I was like, come on, like I hope he's, I hope, I genuinely I hope he's a little bit hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and but the it was fact an that he didn't come a, back. 
Yeah, that was, was a genuine accident, though. Like that was mm. just a genuine accident. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't no foul play there. He just slipped off the clean out and just happened to land on Mbimbi's knee. Like if anyone, Mbimbi was in a really poor position. He was basically bridging at that ruck. Wait, that wait, he, why is he in a poor position? He's just he's won the battle of the height. He's beaten Frizzell. Frizzell couldn't move him. Uh, so I'd say he's in a pretty good, strong position, position nah, there, Richie. Nah, I'd argue nah. the man cleaning out that can't get underneath his shoulders is the man that's in the uh, weaker position, <laughs> poorer position. Was he on his feet? Was he on his feet legitimately? He <laughs> well, he, his, his foot and his knee were both on the ground at one point in time. When he was <laughs> Uh, well, South Africa become four times world champion, so well done to them, and again, well done to the All Blacks. That is a seamless segue to Australia. So as we know, we didn't get past the pool stages, and now Eddie Jones, the man brought in by Hamish McLennan eight months ago on a five-year contract to coach the side, he's quit. Rugby Australia is an absolute shambles. Now, someone asked me today, did you see it coming? So you kind of did, but you didn't. Of course you did. Did you? Going, when he, he came back a week ago saying, no, I'm committed. I'm, I'm here for Australia. Yeah. I'm all in. It's like it's like watching a train, train wreck come, come along. You go, are those trains going to actually smash? No. Yeah. Yes, no. No, they yeah. are. Actually, they are. You think surely, surely no one would have put two trains on the same track. Surely that won't happen. But it was well, a- that's what you think. That's what you think. But then Hamish McLennan's the engineer, so yep. <laughs> of course you're going to put two tra- trains on the same track and just wait for the smash up, and then just hope that they miss each other somehow miraculously. But um, yeah. Oh, look, it's it's almost like someone's taken Australian rugby behind the shed and put in, put it out of its misery because everyone's just sick of the speculation and and all the rest of it. So it's probably you know at the end of the day regardless of the toing and froing, there's still got to be more, I think, repercussions about the decision to appoint Eddie mm-hmm. and the way that it's impacted Australian rugby all the way through now. You can't Eddie can't just be the scapegoat alone, regardless of um, what people think about his behaviour and his decisions he's made. He can't he can't be the sole person that's held responsible for it. That's my big point about it. He made decisions good on him and he backed himself in and it didn't work. And now with all the pressure that's come on him around his tenure as coach, I think he's made the sensible decision. But at some point, can someone take responsibility for it besides Eddie? Th- so all the, head- like the headlines are Eddie Jones quits and then McLennan has come out almost having a dig at Eddie and he's saying, McLean- Mc- McLennan's saying about himself, I'm no quitter. Yeah, so he's, 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 not, he's, he's acting not like going the white anywhere. knight here. He's acting like the knight that's in shot that's going to save us all. He's the... Uh. So He's the one that's he, led us down into the darkness. We can't, how can he we still be there, on. Tess? How can he still be there? <laughs> that's that's a, and I don't know how he, I don't know how he can still think that. I mean, Eddie Jones's position became untenable once he was dragged across. Once he came back, he said, "I'm here for Australia." He gave that press conference, but he was still being dragged across the coals in the media, like it became more. Oh, he, he can't go on. Like he was basically, you know, he was forced out and. Like Mitchie said, he made he made those decisions, and uh, you know whether they were the right or the wrong decisions. He he stood by his word, and we we're all wanting to believe it. But the guy that put him there has to be held accountable, and he can't be sitting here. He can't be going out in the media talking about how he's going to ride the storm. He's not yeah. like he's the man he's, to save it. He's the man that's driven us straight into this storm. Into this, it's not even a storm. We've gone straight in the side of a cliff, and <laughs> we're dragging down the side of this cliff. Um, I, don't, claiming, I don't understand it. I don't understand. Cl- it. It's, it's, that's, I'm lost. He's claiming the um, he's claiming the like the lions tour. We've known about that for every twelve years. We know the lions are coming here. It's like he's claiming yeah. it. He's claiming the World Cup in twenty seven. <laughs> he was responsible for that. It was between us and Russia. And it was never going to go yeah. to Russia, so it's not like he he yeah. made that miraculously come to Australia. But he he I just can't believe how the guy's delusional. He can't see that he's done a thing wrong, and I don't think he's he's got so many people scared of upsetting him because they've got their snouts in the trough, needing money or resources or whatever it might be. They're too scared to to go against him. The decision yeah. makers won't kick him out, but every other punter in Australia thinks the bloke's got to go. And but and he's there. There's no he just won't go. His ego's too a- big. But if it's a functional board, surely the board elects its chair. Is it functional? I don't think it is. Well, this is that's the question. Like, surely, what surely, what's the functional. what's the other board member sitting around the table thinking through all this? They're surely they must be looking at each other, spot. going, 
Oh, should we, should we say anything or not? If we don't say anything, maybe we'll just keep our board position exactly. on the board we'll table. Keep our position. Yeah. Oh, for God's sake, no! I'm calling a coup within the next four weeks. You've heard it here. You think? I, I reckon the board I will toss so. him out. Yeah. Who's, who's going to start it? Is it going to be an, another ex-captains? Yeah. Writing a letter. <laughs> or a letter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gee. but it was interesting Eddie's comments about that rugby Australia needs more rugby intelligence sitting around the boardroom table. That was an yep. interesting yep. parting comment on Eddie on Eddie's behalf, um, and that you know there's, there needs to be some strategic thinking about the state of the game, which is yep. good. I agree with we all agree with that. Yeah. Um, but it, there needs to you know Phil Wars there now, Joe Roth's the president. There needs to be some strategic thinking. There needs to be sort of um, uh, sort of collective a collective thought process through how it all gets set up. And obviously, there's been a bit of stuff in the media from Queensland and the ACT Brumbies around this centralised model. There's been a bit of push and pull around the centralised model. So someone needs, and it ain't Hamish McLennan, needs to be able to pull these stakeholders together and get them all rowing in the same direction and get some sort of unified agreement around what parts of the game needs to be centralised, what parts of the games needs reinvestment and what parts of the game needs some strategic thinking. Because that was Eddie's his, his reasons for leaving were that there was no money and that they haven't no. done that centralisation. They said that they'd have that done by January, yeah. whenever it was. And so who promised happen, so. It, who promised him those things? That'd be the man who got Joseph Suli'i yeah. all by himself. <laughs> yeah, then the same guy that was thinking he was going to sign Australian Rugby to a multi-million dollar private equity deal as well. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, same bloke. So yeah. he's he's the chairman. He's not going anywhere. So looking at looking at coaches. So there's been a few names thrown around. Robbie Dean's his name was thrown around early stages. Yeah. He said it's not going to be him. Um, we got Michael him drunk Cech- one night on the tour and he said yeah, no. He said no, it's not going to be him. <laughs> so Michael Checker currently with Argentina. The rumours about him coming back as well. Ronan O'Gara's name's been thrown around. Dan McKellar's name's been thrown around. And a new one that's come up today, this has been hovering, Andy Friend. Oh, so yeah. for me, between McKellar and Andy Friend, I think uh, would be good. But probably for me, McKellar the front runner. But what do you blokes, what do you blokes reckon? Heath? Well, McKellar has got that, uh, he's got a clause in his contract up with Leicester, I believe, that says yep. he's he's allowed to uh, vacate his seat up there if the Wallabies job becomes available. Which it So I think uh, he would be, I think he would be good. I think he would need a, um, I think he'd need some experience around him though from, uh, as much as you know, he's he's quite a strong, established coach, and he has experience. It was Wallaby level already. He does need a bit of experience around him. So maybe Joe. What's Joe Schmidt doing as well? He's finished up with the All Blacks, hasn't he? He's yeah, uh, he has. Yeah, yeah. He's obviously yep. he's obviously not too keen on going back to Ireland. So maybe if he's enjoyed New Zealand, he's going to enjoy Australia, Australia a lot more. Yep. Maybe he, getting someone like him on our coaching staff. He's obviously had success wherever he goes as well, or you know, quite good success. Um, I don't know. I just start. I could start spitballing all, any and all ideas. What's oh. you know, Simon Rawalini? He's, he's uh, off, yeah. he's finished up with Fiji and said he won't be going back there. I'm not saying that he's someone that should go straight into a that head coaching role, but why not as well? Like he had, what he did with Fiji was absolutely brilliant yeah, at the World Cup as well. Yep. Um, so there's there's definitely guys out there, and Mitchie, I'm sure you'll throw a few names in the hat. But the big question is. Who who wants it? Yeah, like, well, seriously, I think, you, it, I think it needs to be the last year or two. I think <laughs> it needs to be a team effort, mate. Like to be honest, the best the best teams that have been through the systems is where there's been a a good coordinated coaching structure with a head and assistants, and they almost pick themselves because they are prepared to all work together. The way that Eddie's group of a thousand coaches was put together was a hodgepodge mm. melting pot of, oh, we'll grab him, we'll grab him, we'll grab, we'll grab him, we'll grab him, we'll make it all work, and everyone can do a little bit. Well, no, I think I think you've got to look at relationships, you've got to look at skill set, you've got to look at the knowledge of the player base that they're there to work with, and you've got to look at. Um, what they can bring to the table for Australian rugby as coaches as well. So um, I think I think that you, go, you take a step back and go, you know what, we'll we'll take submissions from groups, from a group of coaches. You know, you guys, yeah. you guys, there's enough. This is just a theory. I mean, this is just a hypothetical. But I like it though. But if they went away and said, right, we'll take submissions from collective group of coaches 
identify who your head is and who your assistants are and come to us with a proposal about how you'll mm. work with the Wallabies and Australian rugby, then you'd, I'd be, I would be pleasantly surprised who's out there that's prepared to work with different groups and different yep. collective groups of coaches yep. as a unit. And I reckon you could come up with some pretty handy combinations from the, the group of Australian coaches and international coaches that are scattered around the world about how who's prepared to work with who, who's got the relationships and who's going yeah. to bring to the table the, the benefits to the players in Australian rugby. I like that idea. And I like Alan Jones' theory about setting up an independent panel to review those submissions. Yeah. Well, I think but, I think that's a great idea because the, the relationships between the coaches is is it's so crucial, important. man. It's yeah. crucial. I mean, look at look at the way Eddie's cohort fell apart. Yeah, they fell apart both before it, during, and after the World Cup. Yeah, um, you know, and there's plenty of good people still out there coaching rugby. David Nisifora's contracts up with Ireland. I saw that in the, an article somewhere today as well. Yeah. So they're looking for a new director of rugby at some point, no doubt. Because whatever's working at the moment, whoever's in that position at the moment, ain't done a good job. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, there you go. Well, that's um, international rugby done. But uh, watch this space. Watch for that coup that's going to take place over the next month. Will we get rid of Hamish McLennan? That's the big question. And it'll take us to the mailbag. And the Wallaroos have recorded one of their greatest ever wins. They had a 29-20 upset over the world number three France in Dunedin on Saturday night. This is part of that W15 competition that for some reason was running at the same time as the Men's Rugby World Cup. I, I don't know how that worked out. but So Australia, they ranked fifth in the world, weren't expected to uh, worry the French but because they beat the uh, New Zealand last weekend, 18-17, but they did and they got the victory off the back of a hat-trick of tries to prop Eva Kapani. So, hey, Tessman, that brings a smile to your face, a hat-trick of tries. Absolutely. One, one of them from 60-odd metres out as well. <laughs> oh, so that's a great great result for the women. Huge result for them. One final game to go as well uh, this week against Wales, I believe, off the top of my head, um, in their final match over in at Mount Smart Stadium. And then... Um, and Michaela Leonard, who's a good friend of the rugby rap, she once again captained the Wallaroos. So that was a yeah, great result. Yeah. I watched but, uh, watched a bit of that game, Mickey. It was, it was really good quality, really entertaining. And um, terrific performance from um, the Wallaroos, mate. And great great to see them get a win on the international stage and start to turn it around after a couple of disappointing yeah. losses across 2023 for the team. But my question, which genius did the scheduling scheduling for that? So it's on at the same time <laughs> well, as the as Well, the rugby. World yeah. Cup was anyone was anyone from Rugby Australia there, or were they too busy with their snouts in the trough in France watching other nations playing? Oh, I don't know. I'd like to think there was someone there representing the Wallaroos, mate. Um, I wonder who though. How how low down? Yeah, how low down the know. pecking order of hierarchy at Rugby Australia would have been at that women's game? Well, they could have just kicked on from being in France. They could have finished their jaunt and the four No, they wouldn't have been. France they, would have been at the, they would have been at the final. There's no way McLean yeah, would have been that World Cup final. So he's oh, basically yeah. had a, what, a, a four-week holiday. Eight weeks. Eight weeks? Yeah. He, he should have, have come home. He should have come home with the players. I don't know why all the those guys are still over there. Just no, they, had up. To they had to celebrate the preparation for the next World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. And there was no refund on the booking for some of the rooms that they had. Oh, as yeah. well, so. Those five-star hotels there, hard yeah. to get money out of. Just, I find, I, I would love, still love to know what that has cost Rugby Australia that that campaign, and it and it was all for nothing. It was twelve months of of a wasted, just a wasted twelve months. Going back to the coaching where we had money, McKellar was the assistant for Dave Rennie. Rennie does this cycle. McKellar seamlessly straight through, and away we go. McLennan's blown it all up, and now we're scratching around for a coach again. I I just love yeah. to know what it cost that campaign because it was just a, a complete. They've wasted so much money, and all those Australia A guys being over there for the you know the big game against Portugal Debacle. that they played. Debacle. Just, just extraordinary. But oh, anyway, I was going to say those Australia A guys, they were on a great junket as well. Oh, great junket! Yeah, with the, how with good! The just hanging out in Europe for four to six for weeks. a month, oh, playing for the Barbas. That'll do. Man. the odd game, just in case oh, you know, in case yeah. they were needed. And then staying with the women, um, fresh off being the first Super Rugby Club to employ a female high-performance manager and start player payments, the Western Force have created another little bit of history. They've appointed Dylan Parsons as the head coach of the women's team on a full-time basis, which is a first for the competition and in Australia. So, again, the Western Force leading the way with the women, which is terrific. 
Yeah, absolutely, Mickey. They can um, they can certainly go from strength to strength, and if there's growth at all in the WA programs, it's it's through the female participation side of things. That's mm. uh, been it has been growing. They've made some good decisions at community rugby level about um, bringing in the tennis side formats, and I think yep. um, that that's helped with the growth, and that'll help with depth long term as well, mm. growing those programs. And in the same week that that was announced, the Super W um, schedule was announced. I'm not sure why. It takes them so long. I mean, how hard can it be? There's five <laughs> five teams got to play five each other teams. once. Yeah, it, let's let's get it out of. Maybe they're waiting to lock in the venues, mate. Yeah, quite possibly. So, <laughs> and they're aligning up to the Super Super Rugby draw because they've got yep. a couple of double headers along the way. Yeah, but yeah, do. I'm with you. Why is it taking so Why long? Is it for taking so long? About oh, everyone's going to play each other once. Yeah, and you're playing this little window. And <laughs> can that's you work it. that out for me? Oh, give me give me six yeah. months. So the Western Force there for the women's first game Friday the fifteenth of March against the Rebels. That's a um, a home double header, and then on the twenty third of March against the Reds. That's another home double header. Then they're away to Fiji, back home at UWA Sports Park against the Waratahs, and then over at Viking Park in Canberra for their match against the Brumbies, and then that's their season done. So, uh, but looking forward to that for the women kicking off, which is good. And then still in the Western Force, the under-19s, they went down 32-5 to the Waratahs in their match at Foreshore Park on Sunday. So the Waratahs under-19s will play the Brumbies 19s in the decider next weekend. The Western Force finished fourth. And not a good day for the under-16s. They were beaten 94 points to 19 in their match against the Tars. But uh, a good experience for those young fellas to come up against those sides. Yeah, unfortunately, both those teams, only the one win against the Melbourne Rebels teams. And uh, that ACT-19s team is really talented. They've, they've played some really good rugby across that tournament. Been keeping track of those games on my spare time, Mickey. And uh, there's some yep. really good uh, good talent there that all played, you know, probably half of that team probably play first grade. There are others, others yeah, probably right. don't. Um, but certainly the the games I've seen them play, they're, they're head and shoulders above those other 19s teams. And um, WA, you know, they were plucky. They were they had a decent dip in the 19s, but certainly lacked any sort of depth. And they didn't really any cha- really challenge for any of those other games against the bigger states. Um, but it's, you know, it's good for those players' development. And um, they really need to be aspiring to be regular standout players in the first grade comp in Perth if, if they're going to progress. But yep. um, the 16s, I think the draw against the uh, ACT Brumbies for the 16s was a really good effort. That was a few weeks ago um, at Claremont Oval. I think yep. they had an 18 all draw. Um, so it was a it was probably a big high for them. Then to, to go over east and get a bit of a thumping is probably mm. not the way they wanted to finish that tournament because the 16s were actually a lot better than what that score well, reflects. Yeah. And then Tess, just still on the TARS, they've announced the signing. There's rumours floating around, but they've officially announced the signing of Fergus Lee Warner for two years. He's come from Bath, due back in Australia in mid-November. So obviously a great signing for him, but it'll be interesting to see if he actually gets a call up to the Wallabies this time. Oh, get the tinfoil hats out if Ferg ends up wearing a uh, a Wallabies jersey next year. But how? I mean, how how exciting is it just for Australian rugby anyway? Like you've got a guy yeah. that's at that thirty-year-old mark, just getting close to it. Um, good, experienced, professional player, really on the fringe, and it's it's something that's been spoken about um, plenty of times before in the past. Like keeping that next tier of players in the country, we've got it. We've always got our Wallabies, but you need that guy like Fergus that's going to be going out there and keeping like a Nick Frost, really honest, meaning that yeah. he's got to go out there and. And play well every week, and he's going to keep. Um, he's going to keep. Oh, I'm trying to think. I was about to say Matty Phillips, but I think Matt is Matty Phillips going overseas next year. Maybe not Matty Phillips, but you know, keep the pressure on the locks that are above him to make sure mm. they keep driving every week as well. So you know, you lose that kind of that next tier of player, and um, all of a sudden there, there isn't that competition for the teams, and there isn't that competition for spots when you go up to the next level. So. Having guys like Ferg come back, he, you know, he's he's jumped around the UK a little bit, or not too much. Went from Worcester, and then everything happened at Worcester. He's ended up at Bath. They love him up there at the Rec, and why wouldn't they? We loved him over here in the West, hmm. the Sea of Blue. But um, he's going back home, going back home to New South Wales, and uh, they're going to welcome him with open arms there. Yeah, I know. We caught up with Darren Coleman over in France, and he was very happy 
to have. Yeah, it was very well. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Darren Com was pretty happy yeah. most of the time he was in France. Yeah. He, would have been. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, would, he was in good form. He was in good form. <laughs> and then, as you mentioned, Mitch, the World Rugby Awards were on last Sunday night. Uh, it was described as a glitzy awards ceremony, and Artie Sevilla named the Men's Player of the Year. You can't have any doubts about that decision. No, like head and shoulders. As far as a leader goes and just everything epitomises good about rugby, Artie's it. So thoroughly deserves and um, very humble in accepting the award, obviously recognising his team and his teammates as a big part of um, contributing to why he's recognised as mm. the, you know, the best player in the world today. And, you know, there's probably a few guys in the South African setup too that will be challenging for next year, I'll tell you that. Tell you, and some of those, um, in particular, the two locks for South Africa, Ezdebet and Mosbert, is oh, yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah real good. outstanding. And Peter Steff to Toit as well. Like if he could play like that every week, look yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. And then and then Mark Talia, the uh, breakthrough player of the year. He was he was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. He was absolutely phenomenal, and he was one of those wingers as well that didn't just doesn't stay on his wing. Like he has those finishing skills, but. Um, like he goes searching for work and he dead set beats someone yeah. every time he touches the ball, but in a multitude of ways as well. Like with his feet, with his speed, with his strength, like he runs actually talking of like Artie Sevilla, he, when he's carrying, he runs through that contact, drags guys through that contact, much like he's, uh, he's number eight and he's the, he's captain that finished the game anyway on the weekend. Artie Sevilla, Mark Talea was, and he was someone that, for me, during Super, maybe didn't stand out as much, but once he, he put that black jersey on, he mm. he absolutely stepped up and went far and beyond. Like you could understand when they when he missed you know, he missed a week because he was a little bit naughty while he's on tour. He stayed out a little bit past curfew, yep. and it gave the opportunity for Lester Faganuku to uh, come in, and he's one of the most explosive players in Super Rugby. And for them to just he had a great game as well that game as well. Um, but then they just to slot less uh, to slot Talia back into the uh, into the team shows how much belief and how much confidence and how highly they think of him that squad and um, he repaid that in spades as well. Mm. Yeah, just outstanding. And I was, I was at a um, speaking of a curfew, I was at a, at a rugby league lunch last week, and they were telling the time <laughs> of, of, of Queensland when a few of the players were uh, were pulled up a bit hungover in the morning, so. They decided, and apparently New South Wales, they put a curfew on their players. So the Queensland coach has called the team together and said, right, we're having a curfew. I'm putting you all on a curfew. And they all looked at each other and he said, just make sure you're back to the hotel by 6 a.m. <laughs> so that's the curfew that they want. Back for breakfast. Back, back for breakfast. the sun comes up, you're yeah. all vampires. Get home <laughs> before then. And then Andy Farrell got the coach of the year and then they picked a, a World Rugby Men's 15 dream team. So only four nations represented it. Uh, France and Ireland had five each, uh, New Zealand with uh, four and South Africa with one. So I'll just quickly go through this dream team from the World Cup. So Cyril Bailey from France in the front row, along with Dan Sheen at Hooker from Ireland and Targ Furlong from Ireland. Second row, uh, Etzebet from South Africa and Scott Barrett from New Zealand. Kalen Doris from Ireland at six, Charles Olive Yon from France at seven, and Artie Sevilla at eight. The halfback was Antoine Dupont from France, Richie Mawanga from New Zealand at 10, Will Jordan, New Zealand at 11, Bundiaki, who was great at 12 from Ireland, Gary Ringrose from Ireland at 13, Damien Penord from France on one wing, and then Thomas Ramos from France was the fullback. So not a bad side. Anyone that you thought was a bit unlucky? It's strange that South Africa only got one in. Yeah, that's probably... Yeah, but I suppose... Yeah, I mean, who do you who do you miss out there? That's the problem with it. Like, mm. you're looking for the most consistent standouts. Yeah, it's just a toughie. It's a tough the, one. The, I mean, the, it's, it's hard, hard to argue against a few of them, but at the same yeah. time, yeah. You, there's definitely a few names that you think could probably... Be just yeah. as comfortable in that team list as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, Ramos, you know, Ramos cost France a spot in the um, semi-finals when he's kick charged <laughs> down. Well, that's right, but but yeah, I suppose. And I what about like the, little, the what about the two Cheslin, Cheslin, yeah, Cheslin, Colby, and yeah, Arendt, well, I mean, yeah. Well, how do you put how do you put Will Jordan, Will Jordan, Will Jordan and Panone? Jordan's come out and scored the, just about the most tries. He called the most tries uh, ever scored yeah. a single men's World yeah, Cup. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> in his debut yeah. World Cup. Hey, look, Pretty tough. Yeah, but yeah, not a bad lineup. No, that's there's why no, we're there. There's no winners picking that fifteen. No, not at all. 
And then the World Rugby League Hall of Fame inductees. So Dan Carter from New Zealand, Terry Dussatois from France, George Smith from Australia, well-deserved, Juan Martin Hernandez from Argentina, and Brian Habana from South Africa, all inducted Oof. into the Hall of Fame. Man, and again, all well-deserved. And then there, Mickey. my point, so that was the that was the World Rugby Awards, right? Big glitzy, glitzy event on Sunday night. Now, the major women's awards, they'll be given out after the W15 ends. So that'll probably be in a local Bunnings car park or over Zoom. Why <laughs> why weren't the women involved in the World Rugby Awards? But didn't they announce? I thought one of the the, the no, Kiwi girls got I think a an seven, award. Maybe a seven award. Sevens but, player. Yeah, but the major women's, player. major women's awards, are, they'll given out after this W15 ends. I can't answer that, Mick. Yeah. I think the inequity, the inequity the, is that's being displayed by the sport at the moment is breathtaking. Like they just talk the talk, but they're not walking the yeah, walk. Yeah, correct. That's, you know, yeah. Come on, guys. Like, if you're going to put on a well, big glitzy affair. The, but, yeah, it goes back yeah, to your point. They're playing in a competition in New Zealand. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> it goes back to your point. Why are you having the World 15 playing the same time as the Rugby World Cup? World Cup. Why couldn't <laughs> you do it all so it all culminates in the awards at the end of the year? Yeah, because they're not exactly – the women's schedule's not exactly massive. No. So they can't shuffle, shuffle that around. Jeez. Or couldn't they have started the Women's World 15 a little bit earlier so Correct. it all finished so by the quarter, quarterfinals of the World yep. Cup? And then you could have flown all the winners of the girls' awards to the World Cup finals, finals. so Correct. they could be part of that celebration. Yep. And, oh, mate, it's not hard, is it? It's not hard. That's not hard. But it, they continually get it wrong. So, oh, dear. anyway. All right. Well, look, that'll do us. That'll do us for 2023. It's been um, a big year, Mick. It's been a big year. Been a long year. But you think it started back in happening. whenever February. Super Rugby starts back in February. Back in February. And we're Jesus. now in October. Well, no, what, November now? Jeez. Yeah. Are we November yeah. or almost? Yeah, we'll we got Super Rugby. Off the we'll be watching Super Rugby in no time, aren't we? Yeah. There's been right. a lot happening, though. It was, a, it was a chock full year. Yeah, big year. And a good year. And a good year. And a great, great Super Rugby season and a great World Cup. So, Mitch, always uh, good to have you with us each week. Yeah, no, it's been a good 2023, Mickey. It's good to. Good to catch up with you guys every now and then and just chew the fat around rugby. And, um, yeah, I do enjoy watching the good, the bad, and the rugby Oz podcast, though. I must say, if you do yourselves a favour, if those guys keep going on, we're in big trouble, Mick. They could knock us off as number one. <laughs> well, I haven't had to listen to them yet. I'm loyal. I only yeah. listen to ours. It's the only one I listen to. Oh, dear. We need, we, need, always good. we need the social media management. That's what yeah, we that's need. Right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, and the <laughs> money and the sponsorship. I mean, your photos up to were brilliant. They were lovely, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. Could have worked a little Thanks. bit of framing, but still. Oh. <laughs> Mate, you, you doing do the you best can. I can. I'm, not, I'm yeah. no social media expert. <laughs> anyway, the reels the reels have had over 100 views. Oh, that's I was good. impressed with that. Mixed that's little uh, background music reels. Yeah. And, yeah. Tess, good to see you. Always a pleasure, gents. Like, just to Terco, the great man there, Mitchie and his wrestling singlet. Love catching up, chewing the fat every hey, week with a bit of rugby banter whenever I can get on. Anyway, when you guys it, tell me that we're recording, when you're not saving lives, yeah. And it's are you right, are you on a are you in a big off season at the moment, Tess? Are we going to see you out in the paddock next year, or are you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely no chance. Right, mate. come on, please. <laughs> All right, well you you enjoy your off season, Mitch. Enjoy the heat up in Darwin. Yeah, it's going to uh, be a long, hot summer, mate. Up in the top end, we're waiting for that rain yeah. to come. Goes through, maybe it runs through about 11 months that summer. I've got to be careful. It? I don't wish too, wish too hard, though. They don't want too much rain. Yeah. Apparently, when it starts, it doesn't stop. And I uh, look forward to catching up with you boys soon. And to everyone that's tuned in during the year, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's great for you to do that. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll look forward to your company next time on the Rugby Wrap. <laughs>